Well, you guys, um, this past fall, one of the things I dreaded most as a parent finally happened. I knew the day would come. You know, I just didn't know when, but on one crisp fall afternoon, my son came through the door with something in his backpack, and whenever he pulled it out, my heart sank inside of me. I'm going to show you all what it is here in a second, but before I do that, um, I, I hesitated to put it up in front of you all because it might bring back some difficult memories for you. Um, so trigger warning, but it was a recorder. Yes. Parents, you know, right? You know. Who else played one of these when you were a kid? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, whose kids have played it for you now? Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, I, I immediately called and apologized to my parents when Lincoln started playing it because even though Lincoln, like, plays the recorder really well, it is very difficult to make a recorder sound good. Let's just be honest. Uh, but still, generation after generation after generation brings this instrument home and learns how to play it. Why? You know, at first I thought it was this big scheme, this long running joke amongst parents, you know, it's just like a rite of passage, like, hey, we had to suffer through it. And so now it's your turn. But in all actuality, there is actually an important purpose to a recorder. A recorder is this very light, small instrument, which means little hands can hold it. And as um, children are able to, to hold this instrument, they're learning the basics of music. They are learning how to read music. They're learning the different notes. They're learning how to keep rhythm and time. Um, but perhaps the most important purpose of this little instrument is that as kids learn to play this, it, it kind of broadens their imaginations. It broadens their horizons. As they start to play it, they begin to wonder, you know, like, if I can play this, maybe I can play something else. Maybe I can create even more beautiful music. Uh, by now, you have to be wondering, like, Laura, where in the world are you going with this? Stay with me, all right? But today, as we launch into a new year, um, and I, on a day when we as Methodists traditionally, like, pause to remember who we are and what we're about, um, I want to give us the opportunity to go back and to ground ourselves in the basics, to kind of get out our spiritual recorders, if you will. Um, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, someone asked Jesus, teacher, which of the greatest, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God and love people as we love ourselves. That is the music that we are called to make with our lives. It seems pretty straightforward. However, it does raise some questions. Like, what does it look like to love? How do we love God? How do we love others and ourselves? Because that's how we're supposed to, to love others, right? And so in the Methodist tradition, John Wesley, he gave us this very simple instrument to help us get started. And that little instrument is called the three general rules. 
there's only three, like I said, which means um, it's kind of like the recorder, small and easy for us to kind of get our hands around and take a hold of. Um, if it was a list of 20 rules, it might be a little more difficult, but three we can probably recall, right? And so here are the three general rules. Do no harm, do good, and stay in love with God. Can you read these with me? Do no harm, do good, stay in love with God. Three simple rules, three actions that help us recognize and play the notes of love. However, just like the recorder, these rules, they are meant to be the beginning, not the end. How many of you guys have looked at one of your friends recently and said, hey, we should really find a recorder concert to go and enjoy one night? (laughs) How many of you get in your car and turn on the recorder station? None of us, right? I hope that doesn't exist. Please tell me it doesn't. But remember, the, the recorder is supposed to be the start. It's supposed to open up our imaginations so that we can go from playing like hot cross buns and eking out Mary had a little lamb to playing something more like this. Hit it, Clint. general rules is not for us to just keep rigidly keeping these rules for the rest of our lives, always striving to get an A plus. The point is not for us to play the recorder forever, but rather the point is to learn these basics so that we can expand from there, so that our imaginations can be open to the beautiful music of love that we can make as we love God and we love others in the world. However, we have to start somewhere, and sometimes it's always nice to have a fresher, to go back to the basics and and remember the fundamentals. And so that's where these three simple rules are helpful to us. And so we're going to do a little review today. It's going to be a little more participatory than maybe you're used to. So be ready. But I want to guide you through playing this little instrument um, so that we can go from this place ready to play the music of God's love in 2024. So rule number one, does anybody remember what it was? Do no harm, right? And let's just get really honest here at the outset. I don't think any of us sit down at our kitchen table every morning and get out a pad of paper and a pen and say, hmm, I wonder how much harm I can cause today, right? Um, just It just kind of happens sometimes, right? It's kind of like playing the recorder. You know, we're playing along and sometimes we hit a wrong note and it indeed pierces the ears of the people around us. We speak a word in haste and, and we don't think about how it's going to affect the person who's receiving it. We feel overwhelmed and so we start trying to control a situation and uh, we step on other people's feet in the process. We're feeling insecure. And so uh, we throw somebody else under the bus to make ourselves feel better. Uh, We want to be seen in the best kind of light. So we tell a little white lie so that we will appear better than we are. We're afraid that there won't be enough. And so we hoard as 
much as we can for ourselves without sharing um, to others. And so in these situations and in so many more, someone else gets hurt in the process. Please know like that list is not meant to shame anyone. You can kind of put my name beside all those things I named from time to time. And again, it's not like we generally plot this out. It it just happens. But what we do next, that matters like a lot. When we recognize that we have done harm, do we like go um, to one extreme and just like give ourselves a pass, you know, minimizing it, telling ourselves, well, it wasn't really that bad or they deserved it. Or I was just tired whenever I said that and move on. Or do we like go over to the other extreme and we, we kind of beat ourselves up. We condemn ourselves and uh, we tell ourselves, oh man, I did this wrong thing. And so now I'm not worthy of of forgiveness or grace or mercy. There's another way though. We don't have to go to one extreme or the other. There is this middle way that is so helpful and life-giving for us. And that's when we pause, we confess that we've done harm, and we get curious with Jesus. We come before him and we ask that tough question like, Why, Jesus? Why did I feel like I needed to say or do this in this situation? Do we, in that moment, do what we talked about? If you were uh, reading along with us, praying through the year, one of our scriptures this week was Psalm 139. And, and, and so do we ask, the, like the psalmist did, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When we do harm, do we invite Jesus to shape us in that moment? If, if we are all puffed up defend, defending ourselves, there is no room for change to happen in us. And likewise, if we are, are falling apart, denouncing ourselves, Jesus can't get a word in over our self-condemnation. But when we get curious with Jesus, this space opens up within us so that God's grace can get in and it can begin to do what only it can do in us. It can begin to change us and heal us and make us more whole, making us a little less likely to do harm down the road. And so I'm going to give you a chance today. Um, I'm going to create a little bit of space for you to get curious with Jesus. Um, Did you get a stone when you came in today? If you did not, I have, I'm not going to call him a stone thrower. (laughs) I have I have someone, Evan's going to get you a stone. He wanted to throw them like they throw the bread at Lambert's restaurant, you know, but we're not going to do that. Anybody else need one? I know you were wondering what we're going to use them for. Everybody's been very curious about that. I I told them, Jeremy, that they were to throw at the band if they didn't like the music. So they must have liked it. Nobody did it. All right, if you've got your stone, I want you to take it in your hand and just close your eyes for just a moment. Allow yourself to feel the weight of that stone. And now allow that stone to come to represent the harm that we've done. 
as you look back over this past week or so, let the Holy Spirit bring to mind those places where you have spoken a word in haste or you have stepped on someone else's toes or you've hoarded to yourself, whatever it might be, let it come to mind and don't dismiss it. Don't minimize it. Allow it to sit there in your hand. And as you recall that place of harm, I want you to just kind of squeeze that stone in your hand. Allow yourself to feel the pressure of that stone on your palm. Let the Holy Spirit reveal where harm has happened, maybe to others or maybe even to yourself. And now, having recalled those places, I want to invite you to, with your eyes still closed, to just open up your hand. As a symbol now of opening up those those places of harm to Jesus and no longer keeping them to yourself. With your hand now open, ready to receive, ready to listen, ready to hear, ask that tough question. Why, Jesus? Let him reveal to you the, the motivations, the, the reasons, perhaps, that led you to make those decisions. And now let's open our eyes together and pray this prayer of confession in one strong voice. Oh, God of mercy, we come before you again, longing to do no harm to others or ourselves. But we confess that sometimes we do, even despite our best efforts. Sometimes we prefer comfort and self-protection over the high calling of following the footsteps of Jesus. And so, creator and king, unmake us, forgive us, refashion our desires, recreate us in your grace, so that in Jesus' name, we would be free to resist what is evil, to choose what is difficult, and receive the fullness of life you desire for us all. Amen. Now hear the good news. While we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Now, I want us to turn and look at one another in the eye today and say that same thing. Turn to your neighbor and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Evan, in the name of Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. You're the one person I can see back there. All right. That's rule number one. Do no harm. We are going to cause hurt. But what we do next matters a lot. Get curious with Jesus. Which leads us to rule number two, which is to do good. I think it's so important that this rule follows the first one. Because when we recognize that we have this capacity to cause harm, um, it's it's um, kind of natural for some of us to want to retreat in light of that. It's natural for us to want to withdraw, to reason, you know what, Um, because I'm so afraid of doing harm to others, I'm just not really going to lean into relationships. I'm going to keep things light and, and kind of on the surface. 
However, remember, what is the goal of all of these rules? To love God and to love others as ourselves. And here's the deal. Love does not keep its distance. Love gets up close and personal. Love gets its hands dirty a little bit. Love um, does good. It's just this natural outflow of what it is in us. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement that we stand a part of, he challenged us to do this, to do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you ever can. I think we get the point, right? Do good. That's what Jesus calls us to do. He calls us to be the salt that brings out the flavor of his goodness in the world. He calls us to be the light that shines in dark places so that others can see our good deeds and give praise to him. He calls us to do good, which side notes is not the same thing here in the South, especially as being nice, just making sure everything is nice and calm and everyone um, is at least pretending like things are okay. No, doing good sometimes can look like speaking the truth in love and standing up against injustice. Sometimes it looks like setting boundaries and protecting others or ourselves. So it's just as much that as it is us feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and visiting the imprisoned. But Jesus, he calls us to do this, to do good to everyone without exception. There is no little asterisk. There is no little fine print where you can go down and and read who all is excluded from having to do good. In fact, Jesus lumps in people who hate us along with everyone else. And then to make sure we didn't miss this, he backs up his words with his actions In fact, one of the very last things that Jesus does right before he dies is he gets down and he washes the feet of the person who is going to betray him just hours after that. I've seen a saying floating around on on social media that reminds us it's hard to throw stones when you're busy washing feet. And so maybe you've come into this year, carrying some stones with you, some stones that maybe you've been like lobbing back and forth with someone (laughs) for some time, or, um, this is more what it looks like for me, um, carrying around a stone and just like imagining how you would throw it. If you really felt up to it, right. Which is just as bad. Y'all you're still carrying around the rock, right? Uh, I'm saying it's just as bad to myself there, but, um, what if, What if we put these stones down? And what if we started instead using that energy to do good? What if instead of of throwing the stone back and continuing the cycle of harm, we allowed it to fall to the ground and instead started using that same energy to do good, to serve those around us? We don't have to keep lugging around these stones that are weighing us down. We can do something else with our minds and our hearts and our hands. We can turn our attention to becoming salt and light. And so as you hold that stone in your hand, once again, is there a person or a situation that that stone represents? 
Is there someone or something that you are perhaps spending a good bit of time imagining throwing this at or, or, or tossing it back and forth with them? But what would it look like for you to put this stone down? And what would it look like for you to instead pick up a towel and get busy doing good instead? What is the good that Jesus is inviting you to be a part of? It's hard to throw stones when you're busy washing feet. And so in a few moments when we come to communion, um, I'm going to invite you to bring your stone with you. And if you are ready um, to put that stone down and go from this place today more focused on doing good instead, I'm going to invite you to just drop it here and leave it as a part of this pile. But first, we have one more rule. And that rule, what was it? Stay in love with God. Good job. Um, and I was so proud. I went to Tacos and Theology on Thursday, and Scott Harris here, he's like, talk to me about the order of these rules. Shouldn't this one be first? And he's, he's exactly right. I mean, this is the rule that if you live into this, the other two just begin to come more naturally in our lives. Um, it's the, two, it's the, the thing that makes the other two possible at all for us. It is our relationship with God that in enlivens us and sustains us. It is our relationship with God that guides us and that calls us. It's our relationship with God that sends us out and transforms our lives. However, just like any other relationship that we have, we have to, to cultivate that relationship, right? We have to do things to stay connected so that that relationship can thrive. And so I want you to think about um, the person that you are closest to in your life and what is like one thing that you do to keep your relationship alive and thriving. Uh, for example, uh, mine, I would think about my relationship with my dad, who's not sleeping through my sermon right now. Actually, he is. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> with my dad, uh, my relationship with my dad. Um, there he is. I got you this time. I got you this time. What keeps us connected is sports. I can re remember being a little girl and we would set up a card table in our living room and we would sort baseball cards together and we'd watch the Braves on the TV and we would talk about anything and everything under the sun. And still today, how did most of our conversations start? Like, Hey, did you see that game? Or, hey, you hear about that player or whatever? And that keeps us connected and it keeps our relationship alive. So what about you? What keeps you connected to your person? Somebody tell me what it is. Yes. Music. Oh, I know maybe which person that is. <laughs> yes. We meet once a week and watch a series. Oh, what series are you watching? Can we know? Slow horses. Slow horse? I've not heard of that one. All right. Good to know. Somebody else? Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Love it. Quick phone call keeps you connected. Somebody else? Yes. Oh, ooh, very nice. Jeremy, take notes. Uh, <laughs> maybe one more. It could be anything, right? Sending, what was that? Quality time. Yes, that's important to me. Um, 
But in a similar way, like we've named all these things that we do to stay connected in our earthly relationships, but God has given us these very ordinary means for us to stay connected to him. He's given us things like what we're doing today, participating in worship, uh, reading and reflecting on scripture, talking to him in prayer, going on a walk in nature so you can take in the beauty of what he's made. All these things are, are things that we can do that help us thrive. But think about you in particular. That list is not mandatory for everyone. When do you feel closest to God? When do you feel like your relationship thrives? And whatever that is, lean into that all the more. You don't need a long list of spiritual disciplines, but you need to consistently be doing those things that keep your relationship alive. One of the powerful opportunities that God has given us to stay connected to him is through this meal that we get to celebrate together. When we come to this table, we have the opportunity to encounter Jesus himself here. And he extends to us in this very tangible way through the bread and the juice, his great love for us. And as we take that in, we are, we are receiving his love, which then sends us out to do no harm and to do good in the world. <laughs>